This is a Glass Box Media Podcast. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to The Blank Podcast, the podcast where we talk to well-known guests about their lives, their careers, and navigating those difficult moments along the way. I'm Giles Paley-Phillips, and with me, supporting his Crystal Palace top, it looks like a training top, doesn't it, like the official match day kit, it's Jim Daly. Hello, it is a training top, yeah, because I'm going to the gym in a bit, so I thought I might as well just get, ah. get in my gym kit. And then I could just get out the door and. Is it well received? Uh, 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 you know, when you wear like a football team's top, do you get funny looks? <laughs> no, I just get funny looks for looking the way I do, but not not for the. To- no one cares about the top. I don't think I've never had any interactions or anything with anyone. I think everyone's too obsessed with their own stuff at the gym than looking at other people. Um, so no, but I, I mean, who knows? I might have funny looks and Are not there- notice them. Are there big mirrors at your gym? Only in the studio. Okay. But no, otherwise no. Because people are sculpting their biceps and things, aren't they? <laughs> I'm, not seeing, I'm not seeing anyone sculpting, to be honest. Nah. Um, yeah, there's not many sculptors in our in our gym. People are just sort of mainly just doing the weights and stuff. There's a few like um, there's a few guys that do the whole <gasps> when they like and drop the weights and stuff, and that's quite annoying. Um, and I'm told it's bad gym etiquette, but there's no, there's no, no I've not seen anyone, anyone flexing. No, not yet. Would you do that? I mean, I guess if you um, if you got to the point where I mean, I don't know what you're working on. I don't know if it's just like general fitness, or are you working on developing your muscles? What what's what's your key goal at the gym? Is it just general fitness? Uh, it's I normally go and chat to my personal trainer about fantasy football. That's that's normally what I spend my time. Oh, okay, doing. so yeah, so it's not. Uh, there's no fitness that, involved at all then. Rarely, yeah. And I use it as a, a distraction tactic to try and do as little fitness as possible. I nice. ask some questions about who he's going to transfer in this week. Ah, interesting. So, uh, but it, when you are doing stuff, what are you, what are you 
you know, what is it, like burpees? Uh, a bit of everything. Mm. A bit of everything. Boxing, CrossFit. a bit of boxing. Yeah, sort of warm up on the CrossFit. Uh, I've started doing some gymnastics because I saw my personal trainer doing it. I thought it looked cool. So oh. I've started doing that. So I can now like uh, flip round, do skin the cat, apparently, which is a move where you sort of go out and hold your legs. And what stop, what apparatus yeah. are you doing that on? Like rings or something? Rings. Oh, so yeah. you need some quite a lot of upper body strength. Yeah, not as much as you'd think, <laughs> but I am getting slightly stronger. But, but that's, that's impressive. That's one of those ones that looks impressive to everyone else mm. in the gym, if they are looking. Like, oh, that guy can do, like, flips and stuff. Um, but it's actually quite it's actually quite easy. But, yeah, so a variety of stuff, really. So alongside, obviously, the fitness and stuff, does your personal trainer kind of advise on nutrition and stuff as well? If uh, if I ask him, yeah. But it doesn't, doesn't offer it up. Right, okay. Um, he'll, he'll more offer up uh, transfer strategies for fantasy football <laughs> than he okay. will nutrition strategies but if i ask yeah he, at one point he did me like a list of i was doing a food diary and he was like yeah but then i realized i couldn't be bothered so I just, okay <laughs> now i just try and eat stuff that looks healthy mm-hmm. which actually brings us on to this week's episode well that's why i put it beautifully up. yeah this is this is this is prime hosting Giles. this is exactly how you do it well done i think prime Steering hosting is when ship. you when you don't mention it though <laughs> when you like yeah. let it stealthily happen as yeah. opposed to like pointing it out like a sore thumb. I'm just, yeah, I'm yeah. just ruined that, haven't I? Yeah. yeah. But it's okay, it's okay. But yes, that's why, I, no, but I, honestly, I was intrigued to know whether, because obviously, like, if you're a PT, you're po- possibly not nutrition trained, like, you're not a trained nutritionist, perhaps, or that might, mm. there might be some of that involved with obviously, you know, leaving a healthy lifestyle. You want, you want your, uh, your clients to, I mean, there's no point in just doing exercise if you're still eating burgers every every day. Do you know what I mean? So, in essence, he, they would want the overall package. They want you to be fit physically, but also fit inside and on the outside. Yeah. I, I imagine it's probably part of the training process, but it's not what they major in, yeah. as the Americans would say. Mm. But, having said that, you might not need any advice because we had a brilliant, brilliant guest on this week, Pauline Cox, who is a fully trained nutritionist, and uh, what a fascinating conversation it was. Yeah, it's one of those episodes where I did a lot more... I, I basically just listened. I don't really feel like I said much because there was so much information and it was so mm. interesting. And I would say we've got all your nutrition needs covered in this episode. I mean, if you are someone that's looking to improve your nutrition, I think we all can, um, there's going to be so many takeaways from this. Plus, of course, Pauline's book, which is out in June, so eventually building out link link below. Uh, so do check that out as well. But uh, yeah, fascinating. Guess first, first, maybe second after Howard Robson Carnu time that we've actually sort of entered into this kind of world. Mm. Uh, but absolutely fascinating, and yeah, something we can all benefit from. Yeah, I was hugely fascinating. I've um, got to know Pauline quite well, and we've I've, I've done other podcasts with her, and uh, it's, it's such a fascinating area because the science behind what we're consuming and what it does to our bodies is so vast. Um, and we I mean, we covered, we only sort of scratched the surface, really. We talked a bit about dopamine. Um, we talked a bit about uh, brands and manufacturers kind of hiding sugars, or those nasty things in, in foods. I mean, there's a reason why you can't stop uh, when once you pop with Pringles. There's probably all <laughs> yeah. sorts of stuff in there. Um yeah as along with lots of other products um I'm not singling out pringles but yeah so there's there's all these hidden things that we don't really um 
know about so that stuff's really fascinating and then just yeah what what certain foods do to our um our gut and our gut health and how that interacts with the, with our brain and amino acids and all these interesting terms and obviously uh pauline does it very well she's a very good talker and makes it palatable it's one of the words i used near the end of the podcast because uh you know because it's because of you know science sometimes i'm i'm not um very scientific at all but she says she explains things in a way that you know you can really understand and take hold of mm. i think so Well, Pauline Cox, thank you so much for being with us today. It's okay, you can swing your drink, it's fine. <laughs> um, so with this podcast, we like to kind of, I guess, kind of talk about people's journeys like the, the, from A to Z and then all the kind of weird letters in between. A to and, Z? Uh, a to Z, yeah, we're going to go with the full, full alphabet today. Not, um, well, not Z. Uh, Oh, did I say Z? Twice. Oh, that's, yeah, that's a very Americanism. Sorry, I apologise for that. for American um, listeners. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're an international podcast. You've got to appeal to Number everybody. Number one in Cuba. Um, yeah. Um, but I'm always interested with people that are, like, involved with food, like, their kind of, their journeys, I guess, with food, and their first, those kind of first kind of memories of food. And I was thinking about this this morning. I was wandering out of town. I was thinking about, I had this weird juxtaposition as a, as a young child because I, was, I kind of spent a lot of time with grandparents um, and two grandmothers in particular. And one of them uh, was kind of what you'd imagine your traditional grandparent to be, like permed hair, <laughs> baking, like literally actually Hi, thinking about it today, like, yeah, yeah, Ded, like dedicated herself to cooking and being in the kitchen, like baking, cooking dinners and, um, you know, like making broths and doing bones bone broths and all sorts of things like you know making stocks and all that kind of stuff and having this real love of food and then another grandparent who was was quite useless in the kitchen and 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 burnt everything and it like burnt the toast always split the sausages when she was making fry-ups like just horrendous uh boy like she'd boil ham and we'd have peace pudding with it and it was just it was grim but i remember thinking that the grandmother that sort of put that love and care and attention into the food the food always obviously tasted better as well there was just that love and uh and and she sort of Really, like I say, that dedication to food preparation and and cooking, and I, I just wondered what your kind of early memories of food were. Like, what what were the things you liked to eat as a child? Yeah, well, I I was a child of the eighties, so grew up very much on meat, veg. Um, I distinctly remember twice a year we'd get a babysitter, and we'd really look forward to that because we'd be allowed a Kit Kat. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> It was the highlight of our year, having the babysitter come round and the Kit Kats would be left lined up on the counter. And as soon as my parents would leave the house, we'd be like, can we have our Kit Kats now? So snacking just didn't exist for us as kids. And and we would fill up on what was on our plates because we knew that there was nothing until tea time or the next morning if it was dinner time. So it was it was very traditional spaghetti bolognese pork chops, potatoes, peas, carrots. And I don't ever remember 
feeling like I don't like this you would just eat because you knew if you didn't your brother's gonna nick it off your plate and you had to eat quickly and then you just wanted to get get back outside get on the skateboard or the bike climbing trees and so my early memories of food are very much that home cooking type of food and again the very occasional treats that we did have like a pizza which would be such a treat. A pizza takeaway would be something mm. that you would remember the whole year because it just didn't happen very often. Um, and then going to my nan, I had a, a nan very similar to you, Giles, who she would make the richest of chocolate tarts mm. on a Sunday. And we'd all feel physically <laughs> yes. ill driving home <laughs> after this Sunday meal. Like, what? Because we just weren't used to that level of richness as well. But you're like, wow, it's sweet. I'm eating it. I don't really care what it is. It's sweet, yeah. so I'm eating it. And she she had a very old stone house. She'd spend a lot of time in her cook, in her garden and her kitchen. Okay. So she'd just go into the garden, see what was around, pick gooseberries and and black currants and blackberries, and and have this huge chest freezer in her kitchen that would have just vast amounts of um, frozen fruits and and meat from the farm next door. She'd have tins of spam in her cupboard from 14 years ago <laughs> yeah. that she was keeping just yeah, in yeah. case. Um, so very, very fond memories of food growing up. It, that that could have easily been a description of my childhood as well. Child of the 80s, like very, very similar upbringing, particularly when it came to finishing your plates. My mm. granddad was a prisoner of war in Japan in the Second World War, well, actually in Singapore. Um and so I remember going around here, like, you finished your plate. Like, that was drilled into us. You did not leave anything. And I think that obviously came from a time of, you know, people literally rationing food or, you know, in his yeah. case, being in, in prison and not having enough food. But I remember my sister once. So I've got a younger brother, younger sister. And again, at home, mum and dad very much drilled into us, finish your plate. And, and if you don't eat it, you're not getting anything else. And my, they were having, we were having, I'm, I'm vegetarian now, but at the time we ate meat as kids. And we were having pork chops or something. And my brother had eaten something and like left a gristly bit on the side. But my sister, who had it drilled into her that like if there's food, eat it, picked up this gristle and just put it in her mouth. <laughs> the look <laughs> of disgust on her face probably still scars to this day. Um, but I'm wondering, that thing about snacks is exactly mm. the same as my childhood. Like we were not allowed any. And if we were, it was a big occasion and you'd remember it. But it's meant that now... As an adult, so I'm I'm 40 next year. I still look at snacks as a treat. So I now, if I buy myself a can of Coke now, I feel like it's a, you know, it's always a bit of a fancy. I can't believe I'm allowed yeah. to do this. Like if I buy a Mars bar, oh wow, I can't believe I'm allowed this. Do you, has, has it been similar to you in that sort of restriction of snacks earlier? Yeah, I think when I first left home, I thought, wow, now I get to do the choosing, and so I did. <laughs> I probably went a little bit overboard in just buying whatever I want. But I think you quickly go back to your roots of that love of cooking and that appreciation of the time it takes. You know, that memory of walking into the kitchen and smelling a bolognese or smelling a cottage pie in the oven. It, it's very evocative of the comfort you get from cooking and home cooking. So I, whilst as a student, I veered off slightly, I quickly came back to appreciating the time and even the, the watching my parents to some extent, but particularly my grandparents growing their own produce mm. and how they would use everything, you know, even the leaves from vegetables that you wouldn't traditionally use, they would boil up and make stocks. And they were very 
wary of anything being wasted. So it, it really created this sense of let's really use what we have around us and let's find new ways to use things, you know, use your cabbage leaves for some some special stock and, and make jars of things that you can use for other occasions, pickles. And now I don't pretend that I make pickles and um, boil up jams and things myself, but it definitely gave me an appreciation for that, the love and attention that goes into growing your own produce and then jarring it and storing it all winter to use throughout those seasons yeah absolutely it's... yeah i'd love to do that Giles. i'd love to be someone that makes their own live self-sufficient yeah yes. yeah I, I mean the good life is you know obviously we always say about the good life but there's something <laughs> beautiful about that And I think you're right, like that that lack of waste. We, I mean, we live in quite a wasteful society, don't we? And our culture's quite wasteful. Um, and that idea of using every little last bit. Yeah, like you say, my nan used to always get the bones and make a, a stock that would then make chicken soups and, you know, and gravies and all sorts of stuff. And her gravies were always the best gravies because it had all that, you know, succulent um, bone marrow and stuff in it. And it was always really, really amazing. Um you said you touched on there that like, university you went off the rails a little bit with regards not you know to I guess a lot of people at university don't eat very well. Um, I'm sure Jim will probably attest Can to I that. Can I tell as well. you what I lived on in my first? <laughs> in my first, I did exactly the same thing in my first year and again. It's like oh, I'm on my own. Oh, I'm allowed to choose what I want, and I here's a student credit card with five hundred pounds on it. Well, I'll just buy whatever I want. And I lived on my first year on pot noodles, pretty good classic. And then there were these Galaxy ice cream bars. I don't know if you guys remember these. <laughs> oh, they were so good. So my, my did every meal was pot noodle and then Galaxy ice cream bar. Oh, I'm actually thinking about it now. It was so good. But I, I did. It was not healthy. Probably the two worst <laughs> things again, you could probably eat in the world. Pot noodle and a Galaxy. But now I look at pot noodles in the store and I think, oh, God, that's disgusting. So at least I've sort of come through that, I guess. Could have been worse. Yeah, and I think possibly you, you really start to feel, I definitely felt awful living on that diet of salt and vinegar crisps and little convenient cheese balls and all these different things. And it quickly caught up with me. And especially when you, you couple that with being a student and drinking and the late nights, and then you're trying to study and learn all these different things. My brain was just having a tantrum and saying, uh uh-uh, uh, this is not happening. You can do it for a year, maybe two, but after that it you you definitely start to notice the difference it has on your your energy, your sleep, your anxiety levels, your well, every aspect of your health really. So it didn't last too no, it's long. Funny, isn't it? But it's it had a good running. It's funny because obviously <laughs> like when you're at university you like you are studying, you're like there are. It's very probably quite an anxious time. Obviously, you're thinking about your future and stuff. And like the by the time you've obviously finished university, you're going to be going out into the wide world to do whatever career you've or 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 finding something that you want to do. So it probably is a very anxious time for a lot of people. But yet we don't really, you know, a lot of students don't look after themselves. Now that I know that's the financial. Sh- the um, restraints could be played into it, and the fact that it's the, probably the first time you're living away from home but it's a shame that there isn't you know maybe more 
taught to students about ways of living. I mean, maybe there is in universities, but it feels like that that still isn't a thing. It's you're absolutely right. I think there's not enough um, education or even information out there to help link our mental health with the foods we're eating and our lifestyle. Interestingly, um, University of Bristol have started running something called Food for Mood, which is a basic cookery course to help their students really understand how getting the right foods, protein, healthy fats, vegetables, just the basics and how to prepare very affordable basic meals can make a really big difference to their focus, their mood, their sleep, their energy. And I think we do need to be more aware of the impact food's having on our whole body, but particularly our brain health and our mental well-being. Because if we don't get that foundation right and we go straight for the other options, now obviously mental health issues are multifaceted. There's so many contributing factors, but food is quite an easy win. It's fairly modifiable. We can kind of make some small changes and start to see a big difference. But you're right, Giles, we don't really talk about it. And particularly as a student, it's not the most uh, sexy subject, is it? Are you eating sauerkraut for your lunch today? Or <laughs> Unless you're doing a cooking course. I guess you're doing a cooking degree, I guess. Maybe th- those guys are ahead of the game, probably. They're probably all talking about sauerkraut every 24-7. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's so true. Yeah. So would you say that around university time was when you started to be more aware of food and the impact it was having on you? I I think I became aware of in it, excuse me, I think I became more aware in that I was having more struggles, but didn't really link it so much. You know, I think I just thought, well, I'm busy and I'm having late nights and I'm burning the candle both ends. I'm trying to study lots, but still party as well. So I, I don't think I really thought I'm not getting enough of the healthy fats. My brain isn't getting the omega-3s it needs, or, you know, maybe I need a bit more sleep. Maybe I need a little bit more daylight and fresh air. Those links weren't really made back then. I just really noticed a shift from when I was living at home and eating really well to moving away and living on my own and making more independent food choices and and then just starting to feel like, oh, I definitely feel more tired and I'm feeling a little less motivated, um, but not necessarily putting two and two together at that stage. I do. I'm just going backtracking a bit. I think the the point about um, Giles made about, you know, you you, you haven't got much money, I think is really interesting one. And actually a quite sort of pertinent now is a cost of living crisis that you, I think you um, default to quick and easy stuff like pasta and my brother lived on pasta and sauce like every day at university which obviously isn't horrendous but obviously not probably not as many nutrients as you might want in a more balanced diet and probably quite boring after a while but you see that without getting too political and without sort of jumping forward too much he says he's about to do that that exact same thing um do you see now the cost of living crisis people going well you can just buy a tin of pasta and feed the family for four for a week and stuff well it's like well Mm -hmm. technically yeah you can but like that's not healthy balance for mentally for mental health that's that's not good either as well because i think that it really makes people feel feel poor and and feel bad about themselves and i just think that it's really food poverty i think is something yeah. that is really dangerous i think and actually there needs to be 
more education around how to actually get more balanced milk. And there are brilliant people, you know, Jack Monroe, people like that. There are people out there trying to get a balanced people to do balanced stuff. But it is hard, I guess, is the point I was trying to make when you haven't got much money, you haven't got much time. Um, yes. And the cost of living crisis is a nightmare. I, I agree. I think finding those simple foods that you can turn into magic like for me eggs are a big staple in our house um the kids eat a lot of eggs we eat a lot of eggs and eggs can turn into some pretty interesting things uh, when you use your imagination you can you can make eggs go a really long way and so i i kind of say to people look use some of the simple affordable proteins like eggs even tinned fish you know let's not be snobby about tinned fish it has a lot goodness in tin fish and, and some nutritionists out there might say well you know it's not as good as having a nice piece of wild caught salmon yes but a piece of wild caught salmon is going to cost you eight nine pounds now whereas you can get a tin of fish there are still going to be omega-3 fatty acids in there if you get a bit of mackerel in some tomato sauce have that as sort of the foundation of your meal with some salad leaves or a tin of beans to get more protein in there's a lot you can do, but really sometimes it's about finding those ideas and getting creative. I'm a big fan of, of organ meat, and I know that's not everyone's favorite, but organ meat is often discarded and not hugely popular with people, and, and so it's much, much more affordable. And it's incredibly nutritious. Liver or pate, super nutritious. Heart, again, I know it's not the most popular meat, but if you slow cook heart in a stew, it's really delicious. So there are these cuts of meat that are not so popular that are much more affordable. And if you treat them in the right way, they can become really delicious meals. Oh, I've, I've literally got a, a memory of my nan used to do heart quite a lot. Is it with pearl barley and a gravy? Yeah. Used to, yeah. I mean, I used to be like, oh, like, like it was really, I mean, thinking about it, it was delicious, but I was like, like the, 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 the kind of concept of it. I used to like smother it in HP sauce, which is probably not the best thing to do. <laughs> Um, <laughs> firstly, Giles, Pearl Barley sounds like a film star from the first. It does a little bit, yeah. <laughs> and secondly, you're right about eggs. And the other day, you're right, they couldn't be first of all. The yeah. other day, I accidentally made an omelette. Accidentally? Which was, which what were you trying to make? I was trying to make scrambled <laughs> eggs. And I put the stuff in and I had my little process, put my little chilli flakes in and stuff, salt and pepper, whatever. And then I, I sort of put them in and then I left them too long. Came back, I was like, oh, they've, they've like, oh, it's all congealed and stuff. And then I realised I could just like flip it over, and I flipped it. I was like, "Oh, I made an omelette. Okay, cool. Well, yeah. it's the same. It's the same thing. Still going in the same way. Yeah. But it became an omelette. I was actually quite proud of myself. Absolutely. And if you blend in bananas, maybe not with the veg, but blend in banana with the egg, you've got some pancakes. So it's it's you know you can really do a lot with some store cupboard essentials, even vegetables. You know, a few carrots, onions, some. I say tin tomatoes, they've gone up quite a lot of, in price as well. But your basic veg and some protein, cheese, eggs, and then the more affordable cuts of meat. Um, and a slow cooker, I think a slow cooker oh. is your best friend when it comes to being busy, making I think if you put anything in a slow cooker, some wizardry happens. It's amazing. And it just turns into just deliciousness. Yeah, I, I, I've, <laughs> I'm, we've, we got a slow cooker for as a wedding present, so it's like 20-odd years old. And uh, we've kind, we kind of used it sporadically. But in the last sort of six months, I've, literally once a week now at least, or sometimes twice a week, I will use it. Because, it, like you say, 
Like particularly with the, like um, like a beef brisket or a shoulder of lamb, something that needs slow cooking. Um, just bung it in there, make a delicious stock and a gravy with some red wine. You can make these. Del- oh my god, is the the kind of foods that um, I probably would have like kind of poo pooed as a as a kid and gone. Oh, I'm not having like a stew. Is actually like just manna from heaven. Now it's it's just yes. delicious, and you can. You, you, I know, just feel really good after eating that stuff. I mean, I have to say, I think you know a lot of the things we're talking about the, pro, the high protein kind of diets. I guess are uh, dopamine rich. Would that be a fair thing yes. to say? Yeah, well, you're you're giving your brain all of the amino acids it needs to build its neurotransmitters. So your dopamine, serotonin, serotonin is going to help build melatonin in the, at night time. So it helps you get this great sleep as well. Um, but also when you slow cook vegetables, again, really nice way of describing it, but it kind of digests them already. It's breaking everything down. So it it makes it really easy on your digestive system. And that old wives tale having chicken soup when you're not well, it's the same sort of theory. You're drawing all of the goodness out of the bone. If you're cooking a slow, like a, um, a shin or something with bone on there too. And then all the vegetables you, you can kind of just unceremoniously throw in, ah, stick that onion in. And what's that? That can go in as well. It all just breaks down into this really lovely combined, very, very easy to digest Stu, look at us. We're we're going into Nigella territory now. um, Again, secondly, serotonin sounds like a film staff more from the 80s. Um, And uh, I'll stop doing that, I promise. Um, I think the dopamine thing is really interesting because I Mm. think I hadn't really appreciated that. And the more I think about it, the more I think, actually, yeah, there are certain meals that I did, I do get that hit from and I, I, I enjoy and feel good about. And I wonder if you, if you get that dopamine hit from your food, does it stop you getting it from other maybe less healthy places? For example, my other dopamine hit comes from buying clothes or fintied. Now, yes. not the worst thing in the world, but it is for my bank balance. So I wonder if, like, can we also, replace that with... You know, good food. Well, also, I was going to say. Yeah, dopamine. I was, sorry, 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 sorry. No, no, I was going to say also, like, like you're saying, Jim, it's those um, those quick fix dopamine hits, isn't it? Like, you know, whether it's yeah. like going on social media or, or like you say, going on vintage and buying a new football shirt, or I mean, or eating a Mars bar, for example. Well, we are like um, little arid desert plants when it comes to dopamine and we're we're designed to capture it where we can and that goes back to our hunter-gatherer genes so we would have been very motivated once we got this dopamine hit for example finding a bush full of berries that would have given us a a bump in dopamine and and dopamine is a neuroassociation hormone so it helps us to remember this feels really good the dopamine hit itself feels really good in our brain we like the sensation of the dopamine so it would have been really beneficial for us back in our hunter-gatherer days when those little dopamine hits would have been quite sparse we now live in a world where we're drowning in dopamine and we literally get dopamine hits on a second by second basis from checking our phones, our notifications, how many likes have I had, um, checking, you know, the, the, well, gambling, for example, is another one, online gambling, online um, porn is another one, food is a massive, massive dopamine hit, the higher the sugar and fat content of a food, particularly that combination, the bigger the spike in dopamine you're going to get. Drugs give us a huge dopamine hit. So the the brain is designed to release dopamine for specific activities that help us to 
survive. So eating and having sex, those two things will give you a, a bump, a decent bump in dopamine. Drugs give us a huge increase in dopamine. And then those foods that are man-made and manipulated by particular food manufacturers will just light up your brain like a Christmas tree. And with dopamine, the more of a high hit in dopamine you get, the more you need of that alcohol or sugar or gambling or whatever it is the next time to get that same sensation. So we start to become desensitized in our dopamine pathways and we need more and more. And when we really head down that pathway and we become very... We, we have this kind of dopamine-seeking behavior towards one particular activity. We lose the joy in a lot of the other things that would ordinarily give us dopamine, like learning or going for a walk or socializing. So it can become a really unhealthy, uh, toxic situation to be involved in. Yeah, that's fascinating. It's really fascinating, that. It's really, really fascinating. And I'd never really quite linked that to food before. Um, can you, so can you can you train... I guess in a way, if you can, your brain gets trained to follow one dopamine, it can be trained to unfollow it, I guess, in a way, yes. and follow healthier ones. Yeah, you can resensitize your dopamine pathways. So you, I mean, food, food addiction is not clinically recognized, but it's for sure a problem yeah. for so, so many people. And so when someone has a real addiction to, say, fast food, the only real way to remove that addiction is to stop eating that particular food and it's just like alcohol really only food addiction is possibly even more challenging than drug addiction because every single day you have to make a decision about how much of that food you're having and what food whereas with drugs you're not going to be brought a plate of drugs by a waiter and said right here's your drugs for the day which one are you having and how much would you like you have to be really sympathetic to those people who have that food addiction because it's a constant daily battle to say okay I'm going to have this, but I'm not going to have that. And that triggers instantly there. That neuro association will be there. And which is why it's almost better when someone has food addiction, just to cold turkey and try and remove it from their life and go, okay, here's what I now enjoy. But it's, yeah, it's really, it, it's challenging for, um, for a lot of people with food addiction. But it, I'd say to some degree, we all have that strong link with certain foods and, issues with certain foods as well like if we have one jaffa cake we just want to hoover the whole packet (laughs) there are certain foods that we all go okay you know i I, i'm just not going to have one of those because i know i'll polish off the packet so it's it really is down to the chemical makeup of our brains but also how these very modern foods and these foods that have been manipulated to really hit the dopamine levels as high and hard as they can um, by manufacturers interact in that way and they just lead us sleepwalking down the aisles and grabbing things that we wouldn't ordinarily we as intellectual adults know this is not good for me but you still yeah. find yourself just grabbing it and putting it in the trolley well and also you could say you know supermarkets and stores are also bit culpable in that because you go into i know there's they've, they've been sort of saying oh we're gonna make sure that there's like more um you know because you, you most supermarkets you go in and it's the fresh food aisle right but before you get to the fresh food aisle like at the moment i went in this morning it there is there's about a thousand 
cock cross buns in front of you and they'll be like talking about i know like they're going oh the tills now it's all kind of greys it's greys bars and and you know yeah. which probably aren't that great either um and, and other other <laughs> other healthy food types are available um but you know there's all these I don't know um But, you know, there's, there's all these kind of, which you could sort of conceptually could be healthier, but aren't. They're still full of sugar and stuff. And I guess that's another thing. There's probably a lot of the sort of, I'm doing inverted commas, healthy options are probably still maybe laced with bad stuff as well. Yeah. And hidden sugars, you know, and this is where, again, companies are really clever. You might look at a pasta sauce and think, well, why have they put sugar in that? And you think that that doesn't make sense. Why do I need sugar in my bread or in my pasta sauce? But there's in our gut, there are neurons that detect sugar without our palate even necessarily tasting them. So you can eat a food that doesn't taste sweet, but if there's sugar within that food and it's hidden by the salt and the flavor, our gut will sense that and send a message via the vagus nerve up to the brain and the brain's like, ooh, this is good, eat more of it. And so you find yourself like, why am I just eating more of this bread and this pasta sauce and you get really addicted and and desire more of those foods that aren't traditionally unhealthy or sweet like you know your jelly sweets or wine gums but you're 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 a little confused as to why all of a sudden you can't get enough of that pasta sauce or those breads that are savory but they just are lighting up your dopamine pathway because of the hidden sugars that are in these foods i mean that is terrifying (laughs) completely terrifying that that this is your sort of body's working against you without you even if i eat like five biscuits i'm aware that like i put that sugar in my mouth but like if it's coming in something i don't know has got sugar in it that is quite terrifying and i get do you have to get to the point where you're just sort of going around the supermarket and like reading the the because i remember when i I tried being vegan for six weeks in the summer of 2015 um i really struggled and i was going around looking for like or anything that's got dairy in it, whey protein, which still made me laugh for going whey every time, which actually got old quickly. Um, but <laughs> it was really difficult. And I guess if you're if you're trying to cut out sugar, it's the same thing. You have to start reading, you know, going to Sainsbury's will take yeah. four hours to read all the ingredients as if there's any hidden sugar. I, I agree. And I think that's where, as being a child of the 80s, I had such a massive advantage in that my twice-a-year Kit Kat, I didn't really need to look at the sugar because that was it for me. Whereas... You know, you if you did have a pudding, it was on a Sunday and it was a crumble with some whole wheat flour and butter and a bit of custard that, you know, you, your mum's picked up from the supermarket in a little, uh, what, what was those birds? Bird's eye eye custard. Custard. Yeah, I remember those. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that powder, wasn't it? It was a yeah. powder and even that we'd like try and eat yeah. it because it's <laughs> just a source of sugar. Like, well, I'm going to eat yeah. this anyway because it's sweet. But um, yeah, so now every, so much of our consumption tends to be around packets of food uh, and that's where we're having to read more and more because the manufacturers understand that we need convenience and we need easy and so they will 
add these ingredients and there's so many different words for sugar as well it's not just like it's gonna say red letters sugar it'll be hidden as anything ending in o's or um dextrate dextrose or maltodextrose all of these different words they'll have for sugar they can legitimately put on their labeling and you're looking at it going i'm not quite sure what that is but i'm you know, it's in food, it's not going to harm me. Surely they wouldn't be giving it to me if it was going to harm me. So it's, it is, it's more challenging. And imagine our children's generation growing up in this world that, I mean, I dread to think how they're going to navigate through the, the food environment. It's going to be even more challenging. I hope they revert back to that traditional, okay, we have to cook from scratch because of the food cost crisis and energy mm -hmm. crisis, we're going to have to now start using slow cookers and just roasting things in the oven and then using those bits for the next two, three days. It might force people to give up some of the, the foods that are not really sustaining us anyway and possibly help people realize that actually the cost of those two meals, you could make five meals and spread them over a few days, freeze some things or... It, it can be done in a cost-effective way, but for the cost of our health, for sure, for sure, it's much more beneficial. Yeah. Yes, so true, so true. So for you, Pauline, what was, when did you start wanting to sort of make a difference with regards to this sort of stuff? Obviously, you you know, you studied to be a nutritionist, um, but I know obviously you had, there's the, the health clinic and then so and arrow as well. Tell us a bit about that. Well, I, my first degree was in physiotherapy. So, well, sorry, actually, my first degree was in anatomical science, and then I, uh, that was when I was not particularly healthy. Um, and then I graduated and thought, actually, I really enjoy human science. I, I think I'd like to work more with people and helping people improve their health. Um, and so I thought physiotherapy sounded like the kind of career I'd enjoy. So I, I went off and trained as a physiotherapist. And again, my I wouldn't say my diet was great, but I was trying to be healthier at that point. So I'd say I was more aware of junk food and then making choices more around, okay, let's try and eat more of the the healthier foods. So I still had an incredibly sweet tooth because I trained myself for a number of years as a student and it doesn't just go away. So I was eating a lot more dates and honey and all of these healthy sugars. Yeah, yeah. I was like, yeah, these are healthy. I can eat, I can eat a whole packet of dates. That's that's fine. So I was sustaining myself, particularly when I, I started working as a physio and I was really, really busy. I would just eat things like power balls that I'd make myself, which were absolutely, well, I'd say 80% sugar <laughs> from dried fruit and honey and dates. And I was eating oat biscuits. So again, I was, I was going for the biscuits, but I was going for the healthy yeah, biscuits yeah, yeah. this time. <laughs> and I was, I just found myself absolutely exhausted. And as a woman, I was noticing all these health shifts, my menstrual cycle, which again, for women is a really good barometer for what your kind of health overall is like, was telling me that, you know, you lady, you are not in a good place. You're not healthy. And because of that, I was just feeling drained. I was becoming anemic. I was not sleeping well. So there were all of these very strong, it wasn't like little telltale signs anymore. It was more like a slap in the face every day. And I thought, I, I have to start looking into this more seriously because I can't be looking after people and really neglecting mm. to look after myself. So I started looking more into nutritious nutrition in a serious way. And as I started making those shifts myself, 
it had such a transformative effect on me and alleviated so much of the suffering I was experiencing that I thought, wow, this this needs to be far more mainstream. So I went off and did a master's in nutrition and then said goodbye to physio and focused more on, I'm focusing my whole career now on the impact that eating in a certain way, getting your core nutrients into your diet has, and also navigating the modern food environment we have, really trying to help people understand that it's not you, you're not greedy, you don't not have willpower, you're fighting really, really powerful forces here, your genes, and then your hormones, and if your metabolic hormones are out, if your sex hormones are out, and if your brain's not getting what it needs, you're fighting a very, very steep uphill battle. Yeah, I was going to ask you, actually, um, when when you first took those first early steps of I guess re-evaluating your diet. What what were you were you reading about things that might help you, or were you just kind of fathoming it out for yourself? Were you just trying different things? Did you keep a food diary? I mean, that's obviously something that often GPs say to you if you're not feeling quite right. Keep a food diary, cut stuff out. Were you, were you experimenting? I I wasn't at that point. I think because of my science background at that point, I tended to jump straight into the science. So I found a really interesting doctor called Dr. Terry Wall, who'd written a book called The Walls Protocol. Now, it's quite heavy in the science, this book, but I wanted to find the most extreme case of using food and nutrition as medicine. And so Dr. Terry Wall had been diagnosed with MS a number of years um, prior to her writing this book. And she was working as a doctor at the time, and had this diagnosis and so she went under the best pharmacological care the best neurological care but was quickly finding herself deteriorating she ended up in a recliner wheelchair she knew that her cognitive function was likely to be the next thing to go and so she thought I have to do something about this there must be a reason my body is is going through what it's going through where's this coming from so she looked at similar neurodegenerative conditions she then looked at the she started studying cellular physiology. So she started looking at the mitochondria. Where's the, where's the energy actually coming from within the cell? What happens when that mitochondria, the battery of the cell, doesn't get the, the nutrients it needs to make energy? And so she went on this year kind of deep dive into cellular physiology and then just radically changed her whole diet. And it was quite a radical change and started to notice some huge changes. And within... 18 months to two years, was back on her bike, cycling 12, 14 miles a day, back working full time. And so she started to really champion food as medicine and particularly a, a, a very high nutrient diet, very low inflammation. And she was shunned by the MS Society. They were like, stop giving people hope. What you're doing is wrong. And she was like, no, you must listen to me. And so she was a real trailblazer and she just refused to stop and kept going. And she's now hailed a hero by the MS Society, the very people who shunned her. But she, it took so much grit and determination to try and get these food, like randomized control trials are very challenging to be able to do, particularly with food, particularly with supplements, because there's no money in that pharma pharmaceuticals invest a great deal of money into research but food in research is much much more challenging to get funding for she managed to get a 1.5 million dollar grant to do some research into this specific area and now she's she's she runs clinics in america ms clinics to specifically help people to use 
their diet and lifestyle and nutrition and nutraceuticals, so targeted nutritional therapy to radically change their health. Um, and so she was my, yeah, I didn't just read like a regular A to Z on <laughs> yeah, nutrition. Yeah. I was like, no, let's go the whole yeah. hog. Let's jump straight in with them um, looking at severe chronic illness and how, because I had such a good understanding of human physiology anyway from my yeah. two previous degrees, it made so much sense to me that what you need to put into the body is fueling the body, kind of like oil for a car or the fuel you put in your car. And if it's not getting what it needs, it will chug along for a bit before it just stops. And so to me, it made a great deal of sense that if we're depleting the body through eating some of the foods we're eating inflammatory foods and high blood sugars which are depleting our nutrients and if we're not putting in what the body needs then something's got to give somewhere and and so I I was very inspired by Dr Terry Wall and then decided okay this is going to be the focus of my whole career path from here on in that's amazing it's really fascinating isn't it Giles like Mm. especially the idea of like food as medicine but it's you know clearly there are case studies like that and, and it can make a difference um, I'm just wondering, like going back to the dopamine thing. Do you, well, I can hear myself. I think my microphone's gone weird. Um, do you find you get a dopamine hit now from knowing that the, the stuff you're doing is helping helping people? Yes, absolutely. Because it's it's sometimes this kind of work can be quite thankless work. You know, you do so much work and research, and your knowledge base. You know, you spend ten years at in a higher academic learning environment and and you you might be dismissed as being you know well you're a nutritionist what what would you know and yet it's it, it can be super rewarding when you work with someone and you then have um some correspondence with their doctor and explain what you've done and why and how this has helped them and then that individual goes in and they're like yeah i mean it's my restless legs have now gone and and i can sleep better and i feel amazing and i've actually i've started this kind of um couch to 5k thing and you know they they completely change their lives through being a human detective and really trying to put the pieces of the puzzle together to figure out where the source of their symptoms is coming from so I definitely get a dopamine hit from helping people. I think at times in the field of work that I'm in, where you're really trying to empower people with knowledge, it can feel like a bit, it can feel a bit like David and Goliath. You can feel like you're just, you're, you're so up against this tidal wave of misinformation and shouting louder because your marketing and advertising is shiny and and it's on tv and so you just you you feel like you're constantly trying to help people see the truth of the the lifestyle and diet they might be living at the moment is contributing to them having not such a great life and potentially even a shorter life yeah that's david did beat goliath to be fair Uh, sorry i missed that david did beat goliath in the end so it can be done. Yeah, yeah. So I'm so sorry I missed that. Yeah. Yeah. And and those are those are really the reasons that a lot of people in the healthcare profession, particularly the sort of what would be considered the maybe the alternative therapies or um, now is considered more of the integrative medicine like nutritional therapy or functional medicine. I think this is why we do what we do because 
we know the results, we know how powerful it is, we know how effective it is and how much science is there, particularly theoretical science, maybe not as much of the research, although that is definitely coming through now as well. But it, it it's life-changing. And um, that's the dopamine hit that you get. And you also get a dopamine hit when you're learning as well, which is yeah. nice. I think it's probably why I'm an avid learner. Well, I'm, I'm yeah, getting definitely. loads of dopamine hits having this <laughs> yeah, conversation. Um, that's really interesting about the um, how food can sort of reverse medical conditions. Because I've, I've watched some anecdotal um, things about how carnival diets, for example, can help with immune immune diseases like autoimmune diseases um and i guess that you know eradicating if you there's a possibility that you could be have a reaction to some sort of food so if you eradicate quite a lot of it then you can you know you can obviously help with you know sleep deprivation or um yeah arthritis whatever you know whatever it might be lots of lots of autoimmune diseases um can be affected by what you're eating well, absolutely. Um, I mean, the gut really is the the gut is our access. When we eat something, it's kind of the access that that whatever we're ingesting, whether it's bacteria or food, it's the access it has to our body. And so our gut lining has to have great integrity. It has to be um, it can select what goes through into the bloodstream or it says, no, you're not passing. It's kind of like a little line of bouncers going, you can come through, you're not coming in. But if some of those bouncers start getting taken out, then, you know, you can get some unsavory characters passing through into your bloodstream. And that's when your immune system is poked. You know, you, you've got these unidentifiable compounds or objects might be bits of food it could be bacteria passing through into the bloodstream and the immune system's doing its job and it's going into attack mode and that's where you can start to get this systemic inflammation this is why certain conditions like migraines or even anxiety and depression um hashimoto's where your your thyroid's attacked yeah. they can often stem from what's going on in the gut and if we heal our gut which is really the gateway to our health we can make a huge difference to our inflammatory levels our mental well-being our as you pointed out jars any autoimmune conditions which is when really the body is turning on itself and just a very quick example so if you're eating um Gluten, for example, some people have a high sensitivity to gluten, very high, and they exhibit celiac. Some people have a sensitivity, but they don't necessarily exhibit the same sorts of symptoms, but it can still impact their body. And so they, the gluten can upset the integrity of the, the lining of the gut, so the bouncers are starting to get taken out. And so food can start to go through into the bloodstream. And if you have these proteins that are in your blood and your body's attacking them, if they have a similar um, identity to some of the cells in the body, then once the body's attacking these foreign invaders, it can then go, oh, you're also foreign, but actually it's not. It's, it, this is my thyroid. You're now attacking my thyroid. So removing some of those key irritants or those key um, contributors Sometimes it's gluten, sometimes it could be dairy for some people. It can really help to calm the immune system and allow the body to restore balance. Yes, it's it's honestly it's music to my ears. Um because I yeah, I I've been on a sort of food journey as well as my wife who's also got um 
um, an underactive thyroid. So she's she's cut gluten out for that reason because you know she read, read lots of things about the fact how much it can affect um, yeah. the condition. So yeah, and um, certainly there's been improvements. Um, let's talk a bit. I want to talk a bit about your new book because um, well, how it came about, I guess, and a bit about it and the writing process behind it as well. It's called Hungry Women. It's called Hungry Woman, and I wrote it because I feel so many women. Firstly, you know, I I had a broad um, understanding of human science and human physiology after years of study I wrote my first book which was aimed at everyone but then I started to feel like I want to write something that's more geared towards women because we do have very different physiology to men you know we have a 28 day cycle there or thereabouts versus men's hormonal cycle which is 24 hours and women tend to with these hormonal fluctuations and our struggles with blood sugars, with inflammation, with hormonal shifts, with food, we tend to get really down on ourselves and and start to have this really poor relationship with food, which translates to a really poor relationship with ourselves. Now, I know that's not exclusive to women, but it certainly is something that's very linked to the sex hormone journey too, particularly perimenopause and menopause, which is a massive shift for a woman in our hormonal lives. And so... I see so many women suffering and have done during my time working as a health practitioner and then moving more towards nutrition. I really wanted to write something that helped women feel empowered with, okay, there's a lot I can do. There's a lot I can do when it comes to easing that transition to navigating my way through without feeling that I'm just being drawn through this really tumultuous time I'm in control of this and I know how I can help myself through improving my blood sugars and reducing inflammation and reducing stress particularly stress which plays a huge factor on our sex hormones and our transitions through perimenopause and menopause so I wanted to write a book that helped women understand this isn't you it's not that you can't get away from the, um, the the cream egg calling you from the fridge and you have no willpower. It's to do with what's going on in your brain and your gut and all the other areas of your body. And if we can start to create balance in the metabolic hormones, in the sex hormones, at that stage, you can really start to regain that feeling of control over food, that healthy relationship with food again, that feeling of not being shackled to food through your metabolism, but actually loving it for what it is, this amazing, delicious experience that we get to enjoy on a daily basis without feelings of guilt and shame and hatred and then self-hatred. So it it felt like a very personal book to me because I wanted women to read it and go, oh, someone understands me and then guide them, hold their hand and go, come on, this is, let's get through this together because it, there's definitely an easier way than um, what's been portrayed often in mainstream media, which is we suffer through our hormonal imbalances. Yeah. We accept them as normal. And um, that's what women have to endure. No, it sounds it sounds great. Also, the sex hormone sounds like a punk band from the seventies. <laughs> um, I think probably had one one hit wonder. Um, 
Is that available? Book available now? Then is it out? It's available to pre-order. It's coming. It's released on June the eighth. So it's it's not long uh, now. It's coming out. So we'll put we'll put Charles. We'll put a link in Absolutely, the show notes yeah. below so people can um, can pre-order that. Thank you. So I was going to ask you, like, what what kinds of I guess meals or food types would contribute to like a, a healthy hormone balance? So we want to really be looking at, and this is for men and women, you know, it doesn't, this is not exclusive to women's hormones because testosterone and actually men have estrogen too, but particularly your testosterone levels you want to protect because they will decline as you get older. So we want to be always focused on our blood sugars, which are really important because the foods we tend to choose, these dopamine um, surging foods, also cause our blood sugars to surge. And with each surge of blood sugar, our trusty and helpful little pancreas produces insulin to come along and take that blood sugar out the, out of the blood because high blood sugars are toxic. They're very, very damaging for the body. Um, blood sugars will combine with protein in your tissue, in your muscle, in your blood vessels, in your skin, and they create something called advanced glycated end products or ages, which is very appropriately named because they age us. And so the blood combines and forms these compounds within the body that then create this inflammatory reaction. So high blood sugars, persistent high blood sugars over long periods of time, rapidly age us. They increase our inflammatory levels, but they also veer us towards this state called insulin resistance. And that's essentially where insulin is trying to shunt the blood sugars into the cells to be used for energy. But because it's been demanded upon time and time and time again, the cells are like, I'm just not listening now. You're, you're giving me so much glucose. I don't want any more. And the insulin is like, well, I need to put it somewhere. You've got to take it because I can't keep it in the blood. It's damaging the body. So the body's doing its very, very best. It's a very loyal servant trying its best to help us stay alive in the meantime it's kind of there's these um the little pockets of damage that are happening the fall guy being the liver because it's getting pockets of fat being produced the sugars like okay got to convert the sugar into fat and store it in the liver pockets of fat are being stored in the gut area so visceral fat's increasing and insulin levels are creeping up because the body's like, well, this amount of insulin can't get it in anymore. We need to produce more. We need to produce more. So insulin levels start to go up, up, up. And in the presence of insulin, it blocks our fat burning. So we're now in this position where we're, we're trying to use sugar all the time, not particularly successfully because we're not getting it into the cells anymore. And this other amazing reserve of energy we have on our body, which is fat that we can also use for fuel, we can't burn and access so easily now because insulin levels are creeping up and they're at a point where they're stopping us being able to burn our body fat. So we just find ourselves in this constant state of craving and hunger, even when we're carrying around adequate amounts of fuel on our body. We're just in the in this constant state of, no, I need to eat more. I'm hungry. I just need food. I need food. So it's a very, very challenging position to be in. And the best sort of step-by-step strategy from that point is to say, I need to eat foods that don't spike my blood sugar. And then 
let me start eating in a window where I'm having a bit of fasting, which is going to start to bring my blood sugars and my insulin levels down and my body can go, hold on a minute. I've got access to this lovely little fridge of food I'm carrying around with me. And then that helps to stop the hunger because when fat is broken down for fuel, you have these amazing compounds called ketones, which are our body's alternative source to, to make fuel in the little mitochondria I spoke about earlier. So ketones can also fuel the body and they will just hop straight over into the brain, ac across the blood-brain barrier, straight into our neurons and our brain be like, whew, all of a sudden, that brain fog and that tiredness, irritability is gone and ketones will fuel your heart and your, your muscles. So that extra pathway for fuel because we're dual fuel burners often gets cut off when we're constant sugar burners and constantly going for the high sugar high carb foods yeah it's amazing um yeah i was gonna say Charles, the key the ketones oh no stop 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 um i was gonna say if someone is listening to this and they they want to start this journey but they're thinking oh it might maybe it's too late for me is it ever too late to sort of reverse some of these things I think the body is so innately intelligent, it will always use what it's given. So if someone, and I honestly, I've seen people radically tr transform their lives in their 70s, even going wow. to their 80s. Wow. So let's think about the brain for a moment. As we get older, the metabolism in the brain just starts to slowly come down. So we can see in early onset Alzheimer's, the the brain metabolism, so that, that electricity that you would see in the brain, shuts down by about 30%, which translates to poor memory and poor focus and just not, not so sharp when we're living our day-to-day -day lives. Um, so really what we want to make sure is that the brain is fueled. It's got the, the raw ingredients to make the energy it needs at all times. And so if someone's a, a constant sugar burner and they're in that insulin resistant state, so the brain cells are not able to get access to the glucose, the, the blood sugars that we're so used to using, then all of a sudden the brain cells are like, well, I don't have the energy I need anymore. I'm going to start to shut down. And these little areas of the brain that start to shut down just translate in that slower, less sharpness, less present brain fog. It starts to translate as we get older. Now, if we can keep our brains sharp through being metabolically flexible, i.e. when we eat something that causes a blood sugar bump, then our body just mops it up and uses it for fuel. Or when we're not eating all the time, like we would have possibly in the 50s and 60s anyway, we would stop eating at five o'clock, maybe six o'clock, then the body is still fueling itself, but it's using the fat stored on the body, breaking it down, using the ketones and passing that straight through into the brain and wherever else it's needed in the body as a source of fuel. So the long answer to your question there, Giles, is I never think it's too late for us to support the body, whether it's in better sleep through eating well, going for a walk in the morning to get better sleep, whether it's through eating better so you're reducing your inflammation so your joints don't feel so stiff and painful or whether it's eating more healthy fats to help your brain to have a better experience have better mood because key omega-3 fatty acids like epa and dha are very important for our brain health so we can always make small adjustments and if those daily small adjustments are consistent they actually make a really big 
shift over the course of two months, three months, particularly a year. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. That's, it's That's always, great advice. Yeah, it's really lovely to hear as well that, you know, it's never, it's never too late for any of us to sort of make some different choices. I've learned so much this episode. This, I think this has been one of the most uh, information that's not a word but uh, yeah i've learned i've learned so thank you so much for coming on and 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 answering our questions and um and 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 for the work you do as well it's you know it's fantastic and and good luck with the book as well we'll uh yeah we'll put a link below so people can uh build a copy yeah i can't yeah i'm really excited to read it so yeah thank you thank you pauline thank you so much for coming on Oh, thank you both for having me and thank you for your lovely questions it's been it's been really lovely to see you both today thank you Cox on the Black Podcast there. What a fantastic episode. Lots of information delivered very palatably. Is that a word? It is now. And um, uh, just a lovely person to have on. And yeah, I learned a lot from this episode. And I'm now literally going to go to the gym. So yeah. what, what, a, what, a, what a nutritional and healthy day I'm having. Yeah, I mean, we, so you need to basically, you need to go down to your local health food shop, gym buy some sauerkraut because yeah. it's absolutely rammed with pre and probiotics. Good for very, yeah. very good for our guts, uh, and guts are, yeah. I mean, they're just such a big organ. I mean, it's such a big organ. It's like so important to our general well-being that what we're eating and our guts. Communication between the gut and the brain is so, um, yeah. So it's it's incredible, really. So yeah, get some sauerkraut because that's very mm-hmm. good, and some kombucha, which is a, a drink, which is sort of fermented i think so fermented stuff's really good for you so things like kimchi is also very good oh okay there you go yeah. i mean I'll, I'll go i'll ask my personal trainer i'm sure he'll bring some sauerkraut with him today for lunch and i can borrow some of his um but yeah really good to know all this information and uh, i think one of the most info-packed episodes we've probably ever done yeah i would say so yeah and so many takeaways i mean every time i talk to well, those are things you don't want. <laughs> exactly. Yes. <laughs> um, every time I talk to Pauline, I'm 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 always fascinated and learning and stuff, and it's very interesting this whole area. But just using like food as medicine and how we can actually, you know, eradicate uh, or, or treat certain um, autoimmune diseases, health issues, and obviously our general well-being and mental health can be improved through what we eat, and it's. Uh, it's quite, you know, really, if you think about it, it's kind of simple little tweaks as well. It's not like you've got to completely transform your entire diet. You can just make very small kind of adjustments. It can actually make a huge difference to you. Um, and I know from personal experience in the last sort of six months or so, I've, I've changed my diet a little bit and I'm eating more proteins, less carbohydrates, less sort of refined carbohydrates as well, which are the really bad ones. Um, And how much of a difference it makes to, you know, my general uh, mental health, well-being and focus. I mean, I I, I intermittent fast as well, which we didn't we talked to Pauline about, but I know Mm. she's she's a practicer of intermittent fasting and how much that can improve your focus as well and allow your body to sort of digest those evening meals. Um, So there's all these different little things and tweaks. It's so fascinating. It's a fascinating area for me. Yeah, I think it's really encouraging as well. You know, the bit about mm. it's never too late. I think it's really encouraging yeah. that you can make these changes. 
No matter how old or young or mm. far down the road of eating bad stuff you are, I think it's all um, it's all doable, which I think is nice. And, and you know, we've got the power to do it. So I think that was a nice takeaway from me as well, mm. uh, from Pauline today, that you can still make those changes no matter where you are on your journey. Absolutely, absolutely. It was really great to talk to her. And she's, she's a very lovely person. So, yeah, it was great to have her on. Um, is, is that it for this week? I think that's that's this episode wrapped up another one um, in the can another one in the can another one in the can um we're back next week of course aren't we with another episode um so we just i guess just you know stay healthy stay safe to our listeners have a good week eat, eat kombucha eat kombucha or drink drink kombucha drink eat kombucha sauerkraut. eat sauerkraut yeah and don't get cancelled and i think that's 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 about it, isn't it? I think there's a better chance of not getting cancelled if you do those two things first. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. It all ties in. Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is a Glass Box Media Podcast.